Good morning. It's good to see you all here at church today. If you don't recognize me, there's a reason. It's because I'm usually not up here. So uh, I'm Tanner. I am the junior high pastor here at the church. Every once in a while, once in a blue moon, I get to come up here and bring a message to you all at Big Church, Big Kid Church, right? So glad to get to be up here with you all and worship with you and just get to spend a Sunday uh, diving into God's Word and hopefully being shaped by it and led by it and going forward just like we were just singing with no more fear in our hearts. And I had band sing this song. Hopefully you recognize it. If not, sorry, maybe we'll play it more. But uh, I had the band play this song because it's uh, really pointing towards what I want to speak about today. So what we're going to talk about is uh, something that I'm hoping that you all have experienced too. I don't know if it's something else, something that you have experienced as well as of late, but something that I have been finding myself struggling with as of late is just a view of the direction that our world seems to be going a lot of the times. We, we hear all about it because we've got access to every type of information we can, and so we hear all about mostly the bad stuff. And so I get frustrated, I get anxious, I get in a place where I don't know what to do, especially as a Christian, wanting to know how to live this life the best way possible, but sometimes just struggling with, like, I, I'm watching the world head this direction, and it's a direction that's towards further godlessness as we go, it seems like. Just here to encourage you on a Sunday. But that's how, that's how it feels sometimes, doesn't it? I think I'm probably not alone. Me and my wife, as you may know, uh, just welcomed our uh, little boy into the world in February. And so I've thought about this even more and more since he's been born. Because I'm thinking, as you parents likely do, or even if you aren't parents, you just are living your life and you're thinking 10, 20, 30 years down the road, what is our world going to look like? So I'm thinking that for him and trying to figure out what, what it'll look like for him. Because obviously my hope is for him to grow up and to find his place in the world and hopefully find some sort of success and most importantly to find success in his faith. Like to have a life in a heart that is faithful to God. That's what I want more than anything for him. You parents can relate. You all of you who sit in this room, though, can relate. We just want that for ourselves. We just want to go forward and find that success in our faith. So I think about this for you all as our church body as well, especially I'm the junior high pastor. I'm thinking about these junior high kids. It's the same story for them. They are looking at coming into a world, into their adulthood in a decade or so, in a Pretty wild uh, situation, it seems like. And so I'm thinking, okay, what can we do today that will set us up well, will set me up well, so I can show these young people and I can show my little boy what to do to keep on the path that God has for us? Because God has a clear path that he wants us all to follow. His followers, that's, that's what we are, right? When we're disciples of Jesus, we follow after him. He has a way that he wants us to go. And so how do we set the example today so that despite what the world might look like in 10, 20, 30 years, we can rest assured that we have shown the way forward in our life as well? We, I bring up this 
anxiousness and this frustration with the world, the way the world is going, because the anxiousness for me comes from, I don't always know the answers to the questions. We've got all sorts of hot button issues that we all hear about all the time and hear information about both sides. And I get frustrated because I want to know the answers to everything, and I can't, right? We cannot know the perfect answer to everything. I think we should strive to know what Christians think about the big ones that you know, when somebody asks you, why don't you believe it's okay for us to legalize abortion? Why don't you think it's okay for people to believe that there's more than two genders? These are the big ones that, thankfully, I'm not going to talk about them directly today. Uh, I, as I said, I'm working out these answers, but we've got to know at least something of how to answer somebody when these questions come up, but we can't know everything. We can't know everything. We can't know every answer to every question. You can sure try, but you're more than likely not going to be able to. So what do we do? If there's a world that's crazy, we're worried about our kids, we're worried about ourselves. we're worried about our family line down through history, and we aren't going to know every answer to every question that pops up, what should we do? My goal today is to hopefully give you something from the scriptures today uh, that will help us to move forward not being fearful people, to live in this world without fear. Over and over again, the scriptures, Jesus, God says to his people, be not afraid, right? And I think that's important for us as Christians to set as a good goal. And it's not just that we uh, forget about all the fearful things and about all the crazy things going on around us, but that we allow God to give us a courage, okay? So building the courage in you today is my goal in this situation, in this world, in our culture as it is. So that's my goal. I want you to leave today not having a fear about this rising tide that seems to be happening of the godlessness in our world, in our culture as it is, but to stay on this right path that God has for us, what should we do? What are some simple things that we can do? What are the ways the scripture tells us we can do that? Because I think it's possible. I think it's possible to stand out in our culture and show the rest of our culture what the life and life to the full, as Jesus talked about, is like, right? We have to somehow differentiate ourselves in how do we do that? What are simple ways we can do it? So we're going to look to the scripture. As I said, we're going to go to Romans 1. If you've got your Bible, if you've got your cell phone, there's Bibles in the seat in front of you if you want to open it up with me. Romans chapter 1, a little bit about the book of Romans, as you will see once you get to Romans 1, Paul is the one who is writing this letter, and he's writing to the church in Rome. Okay, this is interesting for Paul because Paul is a pastor and a church planter, and he didn't plant the church in Rome. He's never been to Rome, and yet he has heard about their faith. He says that their faith has been heard about all around the world, which is pretty incredible. Coming from a small little group of people who follow Jesus in one of the biggest cultural and powerful hubs of the world at that time, you know, the Roman Empire, this is the epicenter of that. And yet, despite the fact that there is this crushing weight of the Roman Empire and all that they have uh, over all the people, there's this little group of people who heard about Jesus, experienced him somehow, experienced the story of the gospel and about Jesus, and they had their lives changed. And now they're following after him, and they're trying to figure out how to live life in a big city, 
where culture is heading in a godless direction. So does that sound familiar to you all? It's interesting to me uh, that over and over in the Bible, we get these situations that there's a parallel today and when when these letters were written. Something that I heard once that's really helpful for me to remember as I'm reading this, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, this letter was written to me. Obviously, this letter was written t- for me. It's for us to use today as God's people, but it wasn't written to us. So it's good to know the exact situations that they're going through as well, okay? One more little thing to note on that note. Uh, this church is made up of people who were Jewish and re- heard the story of Jesus and decided to become Jesus followers, okay? So the Jewish Christians, they come from a rich history of following God, all of the rituals, all of the law. They are the religious people, okay? The second group of people are the Gentiles, or more than likely people who are pagans and followed after 10 to any number of gods before that. But they heard Jesus' story in the same way they heard the gospel, and they said, you know what, I want to have that Jesus be my one God that I worship from now on. So there's the super religious people, and then there's the people who you're kind of like at church, you're like, should they be at church? But they should be at church, right? The Gentiles actually made up the bulk of the church. There was a time just before Paul wrote this letter that the Jewish Christians were kicked out of Rome for a number of years, and they were allowed back in after the emperor who kicked them out passed away. So there was a time when the Gentile Christians were the only people in the church in Rome. So the people who we sometimes look around, we're like, you shouldn't be at church. They were the ones running the church in Rome in this city who was weighing down on them, trying to get them to lose their faith, essentially. And then the religious Christians were allowed back in. So there's all sorts of conflict there. And despite all that, they had found their way forward. They're a good, decent faithful, walking with Jesus church. That's the only way that they would have been heard about all over the world. People would probably look at this church and go, these two groups shouldn't be meshing as well as they should. How are they doing it? That's how the message of their faith is spreading all around the world. So as I said, Paul's a pastor. He's a church planter, and he hears about this going on in Rome, and he's, and he's writing this letter to help them address all the different cultural, theological things that they have to meander through as a people, as a body of Christ. It it was at that that time called the way of Jesus, as you might know. And so how are we going to do the way of Jesus right now, where we're at with what's going on around us? That's why Paul is writing this letter. So, they're needing guidance. It's a good church, but every good church still needs guidance. That's what we, why we continue to meet at church. That's why we continue to read the Bible and hear about what God says about every part of our lives. So Romans 1, we're going to go to verse 18, read through the rest of the chapter, and then we'll take a few of those verses, sit in them for a little while, and pull some things out, hopefully. So read with me, if you will. I'm reading NIV, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desire of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones in the same way the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do not... Do so that they do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Sounds a bit like what we experience today, doesn't it? It's scary. Scary because that last line looms over me when I read it. That it's not just that they do it and they keep on doing it, but it's when they see other people do it, they're like, yes, keep doing that. And it's evil, and it's scary, because even though deep somewhere in those people's hearts they know, I'm disobeying God. Because as we read earlier, everybody knows God. God is there. He is true. He is alive. And we realize it, but there's a choice that we all have to make. And there's a choice to use the knowledge we have or to not use it. We can choose not to use it. That's what we're going to be talking about a lot today. So I want to go back to verses 18 through 20, where we see Paul talking to these people in Rome about how other people, they see God. They really do. We are able to see God. So this is in response to the godlessness that Paul knows is going on around the Roman church. As they're trying to walk the way of Jesus in Rome, there's all this godlessness going on all around them. And that they probably participated in once too. Even the Jewish people who were the religious people, they were the people who acted like they did everything right. Even they had broken the law and were needing to go sacrifice. Meanwhile, the pagans, the Gentile believers, they had went and followed who knows how many gods, who knows how many idols they had in their house, and who knows what direction that had led them in their life. And so they're probably hearing these words read out loud to them and going, yeah, that was me once. That was me. And so this conflict between these two groups, hopefully the goal you can assume that Paul had was, look, we're going to even the playing field here. You guys were bad. You guys were bad. Doesn't matter, okay? Let's move forward. But he's also, and I think primarily addressing, look at what's going on around you. This is what's going on, okay? 
everybody sees God. Everyone has enough light, and God has enough mercy to accept all that there, all the people there are. God has enough mercy to bring everyone to him, except, but there are some people who aren't able to do that. They know what they know about God, but they aren't able to let it move them into faith in God, okay? These verses about, uh, since the creational world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made. These verses I've heard a whole bunch of times, um, in which I, I'll explain as we go, but I've heard a whole bunch of times, meaning uh, when people ask the very hypothetical question, what if somebody never heard the gospel? What if no, somebody lived somewhere where the Bible never reached or an evangelist never reached? They're in some far-off, well-concealed tribe somewhere else in the world, and they never hear the gospel. What about them? Well, our answer a lot of times is a very just kind of like neatly packaged one. Oh, God can tell them through nature. They can look around and they can see that God is there. Well, it's interesting to me. One thing, if you notice, it says, uh, for the, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen. How do you clearly see invisible qualities? Well, Here's, here's what I think we need to recognize is that when we as Christians look around at nature, it's like, yes, I see God all the time. You look at the Bighorn Mountains from town wherever you can see them, or you're up in the mountains and you're looking around, you're thinking, yeah, God did this. And God is huge. His qualities that we take out of it, we, we know that God is big because he spoke them into existence. And it takes us hours and hours and days and days to walk through them. God's big. We as Christians naturally realize that kind of stuff and can acknowledge it right away because we already have that faith. It's harder for a person who doesn't have any faith in them to look at the mountains and take enough time thinking, Okay, maybe there is a God, though it's possible, okay? We need to remember that we look at it from a perspective of, yes, we already have faith, so I can look around at nature, and I can see it so obvious. We can all see it so obvious. And other things that are powerful, too. I don't know if any of you have seen just recently, there's a uh, volcano in Iceland that's just been erupting. There's amazing pictures of it, videos of it. Go look it up afterwards. When I see volcanoes and lava flowing over the ground, I'm like, I'm kind of a pipsqueak, because uh, it's, it's powerful, and it's big, and it's scary, and it's amazing all at the same time. And so me as a Christian, I'm going, God must be big. God must be very, very powerful. That all of that that we look at as powerful is nothing to him is incredible. And we see it through that lens of, I already believe in God, so it's easy to see it. People who don't have that faith, it's, a, it's obvious, but it's, it, it's in plain sight. It is able to be seen, but it's still hard to see. When you look at it, you're seeing God's invisible qualities, okay? So maybe giving people that packaged answer of, just look around you. Don't you see that God's everywhere? People are probably like, no, I don't necessarily. It's beautiful. I can see the beauty in it, and that's where we can, we can speak to them in our experience. Okay, what does beauty even mean? How do, we, how do you know that it's beautiful? Well, it's big, and I can't explain it. Well, that's a bit like what God is like, okay? So nobody can see God, but everyone has the ability to acknowledge him. Nobody can see him. You haven't seen him, more than likely. If you have, I'd love to hear about it. <laughs> but 
everyone can acknowledge him. We make it seem like this should be so, so obvious. It says right there, these are invisible qualities. Because for a Christian, it's easier to see those invisible qualities. We can look at a mountain and go, yes, God is big. So we must, must remember that the attributes of God we can see and discern, they're actually not visible ones. You aren't actually looking at God, but you're seeing something about him. You're seeing his grandeur, his amazing power, something like that. So we who believe, we've used our knowledge of the world to see God's reality. If you believe in Jesus and you love going out in nature because you can see God, you're doing the right thing. You're using your knowledge to have God be glorified in your heart because when you get that feeling of, I'm really small, it means somebody else is big and somebody else created that. That couldn't have created itself. Somebody had to create it. And you come into a place of worship. I think that's a good thing. Many people don't use the knowledge they have, though. Many people can look at something amazing and go, yeah, it's pretty cool and go on with their lives and give it no further thought, no further contemplation, no further application to themselves. They think, yeah, I'm pretty great too. So, well, the mountains are great, I'm great, whatever. They go through life, and they don't have to acknowledge God. That's a possibility, okay? We have to realize that's a possibility for some people. We might think they're nuts if they look at the mountains and don't see God, but they can do that. That's an option for them. They don't use their knowledge, but God is still in plain sight. So no matter what, despite all of that, despite crushing kind of that, that package answer that we give some people sometimes, I think it's still true. I think if those people would give enough time, maybe put their phone away for a little while, spend a week or a couple of weeks in the mountains or somewhere where you get to realize that you're not so big, and I think you will come to the conclusion, something made that and it wasn't me, and it wasn't another person, and that something must be big, and that's how people can go from not hearing the gospel, not hearing somebody preach them the story of Jesus, and they can know in their hearts God's there. I think also another problem with this is that a lot of times people will ask that question because they don't want to have faith, and they want to know everything. If they, if they are seeking out for something of God and, and they look out in, at nature, it's like they want to know everything about God by looking at the mountains and saying, oh, something must have made that. They want to know every little detail about God. And I don't think that's going to happen, right? We're not going to know every little detail, but what we can do is come to a place of something else made that, and I'm smaller than that, th- whoever made it, and man, maybe I should, maybe I should in my heart, submit to that thing that is greater than me. Submit to them somehow, some way. And that's how people can, if they never hear the gospel, God can look at them and say, you recognize me. You acknowledge me in your heart. That is what we're supposed to do. That is called faith, you guys. That's, I believe. Something else made this. That's how I work that out, at least. Here's a silly illustration that might help kind of bring it down. If I were to hypothetically, uh, come into my house. Maybe it's fall, kind of crisp, cool air outside. I come into my house after uh, working all day, and on the counter, there's a freshly baked batch of cookies or muffins. I'm a, I like, or you can imagine with me, whatever your baked good of choices. If you're gluten-free, it's gluten-free. If it's keto, it's a keto muffin or whatever. Probably disgusting, but... Uh, <laughs> 
So I, I walk into my house, and there's muffins there, and I can smell them right when I come in the door, and I'm thinking, it smells good. usually means it tastes good. Not always, <laughs> but most of the time. And I walk over, and I, I'm going to see if my hypothesis is correct. I take a bite, and it is good. It does taste good. And so I, in a sweeping motion, I shove the rest in my mouth, and I enjoy it. And if I sit there for a little bit, and I go... I didn't make those muffins, and they were just there. Somebody made those muffins. Maybe, maybe somebody who cares about me made those muffins because they know I like those muffins or those cookies or whatever. And I don't know everything about that person. In this hypothetical situation, it's my wife making it, obviously. You've probably figured that out by now. But I don't necessarily know everything about the one who made it. All I know is those muffins couldn't have made themselves and I'm somehow getting to experience the love of the one who made it by experiencing that. I get to eat it. I get to taste it. I get to enjoy it. And if I take enough thought, take a moment to think, moment to contemplate, I'm going to come to the conclusion someone who cares about me made that for me, left it there for me. And I would have had the option to eat that cookie and just go, Oh, good cookie, and then move on with my life. But wouldn't it make more sense for me to go, I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful for that. And I recognize that it took somebody some energy, some time, some intention to make those and bake them and set them out. That's hopefully making sense now. When we look at our world around us, there's something that we should do when we experience and sense the things that we can sense about God. What do you do with that knowledge? Are you just going to move along with your life, or are you going to actually sit and go, maybe I should acknowledge the one who gave that to me? There's something about the order in our world, how there's one season after another, and about how, isn't it like crops, plants, the things that we eat day after day, they just grow. We don't do anything about it. Who do you think put those little pieces into into order and into action throughout our world? It's God. There's someone who did it all. One last thing on this piece of scripture uh, that was interesting, very interesting to me. Uh, in verse 20, these things, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. That word, I'm not a, I don't know a lot of Greek, but I have access to the internet, okay? And that word is only used one other time in the whole New Testament, and it's in Ephesians where Paul there also is talking to people, and he says, for we are God's handiwork. It's the same word as the handiwork there. So the only other place it's used is describing you and I. So if we can, we can look around at the world outside of us and see God, but we should also, that's telling me, the only other place it's talking, using that word is talking about us. We should be able to look inward too, not saying that we are God, none of that. We aren't the one who made us, but somehow in the design of our own bodies, our minds, our souls, we should realize, okay, there's something bigger. There's something more to this world. There's something more to me. There's a desire in me to worship and to be, uh, be uh, underneath something because I'm not the God of this world. Realizing it in ourselves is a big thing, too, and I think people can do that. I think if we give enough thought, we can come to that conclusion. There's something more to my life, and it's, and it's bigger than me, and it's more important to me, and I better figure out what that 
thing wants me to do. God, I better figure out what they want me to do. Acknowledging that is so, so important. Let's go to verses 21 through 23. So we saw in 18 through 20 that we can all see God. In these verses, it's possible to ignore God is what we're going to learn. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. So this is the direct explanation that Paul has. Sees the Gentiles, the people around them in Rome, falling into. It's idol worship. It's a progression to notice what goes first that leads them to worshiping human images of human beings and animals and birds and reptiles. There's a progression. First two things that stop are you stop glorifying God and you stop thanking him. Glorifying God and thanking him. To glorify it means to honor him, to recognize his work, just as we've been talking about. You can see it, but I don't have to recognize it. I can see the greatness of something, but I don't have to recognize it. And to act as he only is God. That's another big thing that I think Paul is touching on here. Coming from a culture that has numerous gods, there's one God that we follow, and his name is Jesus, okay? And that's glorifying him. Glorifying him as the only God is the only way to glorify him, if that makes sense. So you stop glorifying him, and you stop thanking him. That means to show gratitude, to show gratitude in this context specifically for just your life. As he talked about uh, in the things created, that's you. You are the thing he created in your life. Are you grateful for the fact that your heart right now, you aren't doing anything to keep your heart beating. It's just going, and somebody's keeping it going. We've got to realize that. We've got to take that in and acknowledge it and go, there's something bigger here, and thank him and glorify him for it. So after you stop glorifying and thanking God, what happens? You're thinking becomes empty, useless, worthless, and your hearts get darkened. If you keep thinking about God in a wrong way, which doesn't that make sense? As soon as you stop glorifying God as God, you're going you're gonna to start looking for something else that's lesser than God to glorify, and nothing else is going to lead your heart, lead your soul into a place of good things happening. Your thinking's not going to be good. It's a, it's a bad downward spir- spiral that begins once you stop thanking God, recognizing him, acknowledging him, and glorifying him. So, you result in having emptiness in your soul, lack of full life as Jesus wants you to have when we don't recognize God and when we don't thank him. When we find something worse to worship, that's what happens. And we're always, we're worshiping people. Every single person worships something all the time. It doesn't have to be God. It can be your bank account. It can be another idol. It can be a relationship. It can be a job. You name it. We are worshiping something all the time. There's no void. As Dan was talking about last week, there's no, there's no middle place where we're worshiping this and this. It's we're either worshiping God or we're worshiping something else, okay? That's, that is the biblical understanding of how we worship. There's never a time when we're not worshiping something. People will try to claim that that is what they do. They don't follow any God. They're following some God, okay? Some God is ruling their life. 
So we worship something, and we can ignore God. We can look at the evidence around us and say, yeah, I see it, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to follow after that God. I'm not going to acknowledge that God as God. It's just, yeah, maybe something created the universe, but oh well. I have my life to live. I have enough distractions. I have enough things keeping me busy. That's the pain and the frustration I have with our busyness, too, is that you can keep busy and live your life and never stop for a moment to think about God. That's a danger that we face today. Verses 24 through 25, we're going to look at these for a moment. It says this, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So we see where this all leads to. We go from we see God, everyone sees God, somehow, way, everyone sees those invisible qualities of God. We have the choice to ignore him. If you ignore him, you come to these verses where you start to sin against God. He will give you over, it says. We, if we want to, God is not going to keep us from going and living our life how we want to. He won't. That is an unfortunate truth, but it is the truth. God will not keep you from doing the things that you want to do that he doesn't want you to do. Does that make sense? He will let you go and do them. Paul elsewhere calls all these things that they go and do the base desires. They're like the animalistic desires within each and every one of us. When we leave behind God, our desires start to change and we have those desires, and we have nothing keeping us from going and doing them. This is the danger. This is the danger that we all see in the reality around us. People who don't have God in their lives have ignored the truth of God in their lives. Maybe they've even had people tell them about Jesus, and they've ignored it. They've pushed it away, and they're living their life in the expected way forward for them. They're leaving behind God, and they're going off, and they're living a sinful life. That's how it works. We shouldn't be surprised at the way the world denies God and then goes and does crazy things in our, in our perspective, right? We look at the things that are going on in our world and we think, how could anybody do that? They don't have God. They don't have God in their hearts. They don't have the thinking that is worthwhile. It says your thinking becomes worthless, right? They, that's the way that they are going to go. They take the path of least resistance towards fulfilling those desires within them, Okay. Notice how God gives them over to it, too. This is important for us to know and to realize. He's releasing his loved creation to go and ruin themselves. God will do that. God will release you to go and do whatever in the world you would like to do. And he knows, he knows that those things are usually not good. Not, none of us have in our hearts without God to just go and do amazing things for the world, and it's just not how it works. When people don't have God, they go the wrong direction. They exchanged the immortal God for images of birds and animals and reptiles. We read in the last section, this section, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Later on in the verses we read at the beginning, they exchanged the natural for the unnatural. These are the ways the world is going. And God allows them to make that exchange. He allows them to go, I'd rather have this if you don't mind, God. And he does mind, but he's not going to stop them. That's what happens. 
They exchange it. We trade it. We trade the goodness of God, the kindness that God has for us, and we just go our own direction. We think nothing of him afterwards. This is the way the world goes, and it's hard for us as Christians to look around, especially, I know for me in recent times, the thing that has given me the most heartache is people I know and I love who are going those directions. It's hard for us to watch them, isn't it? It's hard for us to see the direction that they're going or the ways that they're thinking and go, what are you thinking? You should know better. That's like, that's like the Christian line of all, isn't it? Like we think everybody should know better, and they should, but they're not using their knowledge as God would want them to, okay? I'm talking a lot about knowledge and knowing things today. Uh, something I want to clarify is I don't think that uh, it's bad to have knowledge. I think that it's good to have knowledge, and we can have faith and knowledge together, right? Knowledge isn't going to save us. Knowing stuff about God obviously isn't going to save us. Knowing that God exists isn't going to save us. The scriptures say the demons also believe there's a God. They know. That doesn't save us. It's what we do with our knowledge. Faith is something that we don't use our sight for, right? As we talked about earlier, these invisible things of God, we can put our faith in God because of the things that we know about him. And we can come to know God. It's possible, it's possible, it's possible to know things about God. So here's the progression that we see. Paul addressing for these people in Rome. We have an opportunity to see God. Everyone does. And we can recognize or ignore God. And then after we recognize or ignore him, we're going to either obey him or we're going to disobey him. That's how it works. That's how our descent into a godless life, a godless culture even, occurs. What it meant for them is, as Paul goes through this explanation of God's wrath for those people who chose to ignore him, is that both sides of these people in this church are eventually going to start going, again, yeah, that was me. I was, the, I was one who was wrong. I was going the way against the grain of what God would want me to do. I was doing that. And as they hear him talking about these things, each side is humbled. And Paul, is, as a good pastor, as a good church planter, is finding a way to unify these people once again. We as a church need to be unified. And we need to be humble before one another. And he's saying to them also, it's to get them to come back to one of the first points of the good news. And that's that I'm bad, but God can make me good. God can recreate the interior of my inner life to make me into a good person who he sees as righteous. And it doesn't happen any other way than besides experiencing the love of God through Jesus. Jesus became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. That's what the scripture says. That's how it works, and that's how it works for us too. So we as a people today, I'm thinking about us as a church. How are we going to stand as we look around at our world, and there's this rising tide of godlessness around us even today. How are we supposed to stand up, live the way God wants us to, and stand there in a, in a, to use a theological term, it's you stand prophetically. You stand and show yourself as I'm not going to submit to the way the world is going. We stand up and we cut through the rest of what's going on. We cut through the tide 
and we make ourselves stand out in that way, in that way only. We don't have to be fantastic and wave our arms and shout to let people know that we aren't going that way. We do it in simple, simple ways, and that's what I want to come to in just a moment. One more thing before we come to what we can do as a people today. Maybe these verses today have helped you, I hope, come to a better understanding of those people in your lives that you're probably thinking of as we're talking this morning, as we're reading the scripture, people in your life that you love who they are going in the wrong direction. I hope that this can not confirm your frustration and your anger towards them, that they should know better, but that instead today you could leave with a renewed level of mercy and desire to pray for those people. Because it's so easy for us to do this. What, how, what starts the downward spiral, it's really easy. You just stop acknowledging God. Stop thanking him. That's how people get on that downward trajectory towards godlessness. Let's think about those people that we're thinking of, you're likely already thinking of today as we leave. And let's not be frustrated with them. Let's, we, you can be frustrated with them. I'll give you permission, actually, because I get frustrated with people, too. But... Let's, let's renew our desire to pray for them, to, to hope that God will continue making himself known to them. Because God can speak to people very clearly. He can show them time after time that I am God. God is not going to stop. God is always there ready to meet that person when and if they decide, oh, maybe there is God. Maybe, maybe they heard about God and they've moved past him. You know, nowadays it's like you've like evolved if you've left God behind. Maybe they'll realize, oh, he actually knew what he was talking about. Maybe this Jesus guy knew what he was talking about because I don't feel like my life is very full. That's what it talks about in verse 27 of chapter 1. And received in themselves the due penalty for their error. These people that live this godless life, they feel it. Surely they feel it in their hearts that there's some sort of emptiness going on. God allows that emptiness so that they can come back someday, hopefully. Pray for them. Pray for those people. Have them, if they're weighing upon your heart, good. Pray for them. Hope that God will continue to speak to them so that they can come back and acknowledge God and thank him. So you might be able to tell what we're going to uh, what I'm going to say as far as what can we do to go forward and stand up in that prophetic nature against the rising tides of the godlessness in our culture. What can we do? And how can we maintain our integrity as a church? Surely we need God to help us with it. We each need the Holy Spirit to guide us in our own individual ways. But I want to give you just a simple practice to do to just try out. Um, that you can try and see if it works. See if your relationship with God improves or uh, stays the same or gets worse. We'll do a survey next week. That's a joke. No surveys. But here's the practice. Spend a moment, hopefully at the beginning of your day, you acknowledge God in prayer and you thank him. I'm hoping you already have some some way that you pray to God each day. Let's, let's let those two things be two key elements of our morning prayer. I want to acknowledge God in some way. Say, I, I recognize that you are God over me, that you are creator. I see you in the things around me. I see you in the order that you have created in this creation, and I also see you in the way that you've made me. Acknowledge him, and you thank him for something. 
Thank him for anything. Could be small, could be big. Doesn't matter if it's the same thing day after day after day. Thank him. Find one thing to acknowledge him for and to thank him for every day. When we do this, it's not that we're going to be saved by doing this, right? It's just like we aren't saved by knowing that God exists. That's not how it works. We aren't just saved because we do something. We're saved because we have faith. This is a show towards God that we have faith in him, that we acknowledge him. That means I have faith in him, and I've experienced his goodness. Here's something interesting that I read this past week as I'm thinking about all this. John 17, 3. You don't need to flip there. I'll just read it for you really quickly. This is Jesus talking. He says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing him. Knowing in that phrase, again, I'm not a Greek guy, but I have access to the internet. Knowing him in that instance is talking about an experiential knowledge. We can know things like that you could take a test on, and we can know things like I've experienced this. That's the kind of experience we're looking for. And if you've experienced him, especially those of you who have experienced him, that you have put your faith in Jesus, we definitely need to be acknowledging him, thanking him day after day. If you haven't experienced God, I want to tell you, he's right there waiting to be experienced. I think if we seek him out, if we ask, if we ask for him to speak to us, to help us, to show us somehow, some way, he's going to do it. He's a faithful God in that way. Jessica, you guys can come on up. In what do you think will happen to our relationship with God if we are to do this, no matter where we're at in our faith, no matter if you've been a Christian for a month or a couple of decades, what's going to happen? Well, what would happen if you were to do this in another relationship? I want you to test it out. If you were to each and every day make sure that with a coworker you acknowledge some way that you, something you appreciated about them and you were to thank them, do you think your relationship with them would get great, better or would it stay the same, or would it get worse? I would guess it's going to get better with your spouse, with your child. If you were to do these things, that relationship, those bonds are going to grow deeper and deeper and deeper, and it's so simple, isn't it? It seems too simple to me, sort of, but I'm telling you to do it anyways. It seems really simple. I bet it'll work. I bet your relationship with God, if you will just do those couple of things, among your other prayers that you give to God, do that. And let me know, is your relationship stronger? After I'm intentionally acknowledging God every day, is it getting better or is it getting worse? I, I would guess it's probably going to get better. We're going to sing a song which will hopefully give you an opportunity to, with your voice, acknowledge God and thank him for what he's done and look forward into going into our life as we leave this place once again, I don't want you to fear the world around you. I want you to know what you know about God and just keep going. Keep standing up against this tide of godlessness that's going on. It might be your family, and that's a tough situation. I'll, I, we will pray for you for that because to have a soul in a family who's trying to walk the way of God and their family is pushing against them, that's a hard place to be. But I hope and pray that you can see God is there. God wants to help you through that. He wants to pull you along. So if you're feeling that tug of the Holy Spirit today in any way, if you're feeling like I haven't been doing that very well, I haven't been acknowledging God very well, 
haven't been thanking him very well. Maybe you've never, ever done that before. I pray that you would use this time to ask. Take that step towards him and say, God, I want to recognize you as my God. And he's ever ready to be there to meet you, no matter if it's the hundredth time you've done it or the first time you've done it. Find strength in God today, and let's worship together, and let's keep on as a church, as people of God, acknowledging him, thanking him, going forward, helped by his spirit. Let's worship. Would you stand and join us?